I've developed a habit in 2023 where I can't seem to put a message together until 1 a.m. the morning of. Now I have all these things running through my head and all these thoughts and I'm praying and I'm seeking and I'm spending time and I'm honestly, if I'm being humble, open, and transparent with you, I'm getting aggravated with it because it's not perfect. It's not lining up like I want it to. But then he does this thing, the last minute where he lines it up for me. And I get so riddled with anxiety and stress preparing for it. You can ask Angie. I was like, I've got nothing, nothing. Oh my God, what am I going to do? But the one thing that I had rolling around in my head was four years ago, the very first sermon I preached in this church as an ordained pastor with Grace Life Ministries was about faith. For some reason, that kept coming back up. It kept coming back up. It kept coming up, back up. I kept singing that faith, faith, faith song. What is it? Uh, that, that 80s song. I can't think of who that guy is. I don't know why. What? George Michael. I was, yes, I was singing George Michael. It's actually kind of a fun song. But that word faith kept rolling around in my head, rolling around in my head. So I get to yesterday morning, and I'm processing things, and I'm tearing it apart, and I'm working on other things, and it just won't go away. And I had it dead set in my mind that I was going to preach on brotherhood. I was fighting everything I could to dig up, everything I could the Bible said about being a brother. And the more I did, the more frustrated I got. Last night, Angie got home from a trip, and she came in, and we spent some time together. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at her sitting on the couch, and it hits me like a ton of bricks Everything I have in my life is because of faith. The house I live in, the wonderful marriage that I have, the cars that we get to drive, the motorcycles I get to build, the relationships that I have, and namely the relationship I have with Christ is all because of that one thing I can't see, touch, taste, or feel. Actually, sometimes you can feel faith but faith. So then I got to thinking, well, that message that I preached four years ago was about faith in really dark times because if you can remember, we were right in the middle of COVID. And so my message was wrapped around the fact that when you don't have an answer, when everything's falling apart and everything's broken, you can lean on faith. And I I talked about how to exercise that muscle and develop it. But as I was processing that, I'm like, why are you bringing this back up again? Why are you, why are you telling me to preach the same message again? <clears throat> he said, you're not listening. I want you to preach about audacious faith. Faith, the five-letter word, we often call the four-letter words the bad words, but sometimes we look at faith as a bad word. <clears throat> so what is audacious faith? What is the word audacious? So we'll go to Merriam-Webster and The definition of audacious is intrepidly daring, adventurous, recklessly bold, or rash. I don't know about you, but I want to live audacious faith. Faith that moves mountains. Faith that changes the temperature of the room. Faith that breaks molds that were technically never meant to be broken. I believe that there's three ways that we live our lives. Striving, surviving, 
or thriving. Now, I don't know if you feel it like I feel it. And sometimes it looks a little bit dark, but I believe even though the way things look around us, we are in a thriving season. Things are changing. Things are growing. People are coming back to church. People are loving each other a little bit more than they used to four years ago. I believe that through our thriving seasons, our assignments and our callings get moved to another level. See, here's the thing. As the hands and feet of Jesus... We have a responsibility and an opportunity to say yes. One person agreed with me. You guys are quiet and tired like I am. You should have had the two energy drinks I had. So hold on. I said we have the responsibility. I'll say that one kind of small. But the opportunity to say yes. Now what is that yes? That yes is an opportunity to get right up in the middle of somebody's storm. That yes is to get right up in front of a dire situation in somebody else's life that they think there is no answer to and tell them, hey, guess what? I know the answer. Not only do I know it, but I've lived it. See, we are all called to something in the Bible, every single one of us. Now, preachers preach all the time, and sometimes they get real preachy when they're doing it, but they say, you've got a calling and a purpose on your life. Well, you do. The Bible told us. It's called the Great Commission. What is that? It's the gospel. It's that simple. And guess what? The gospel itself is simple. The gospel translated literally means good news. See, we have a calling and a purpose in our life to spread good news. Now, let me ask you a question, and I really want you to really think about it. If you look at the news and social media and relationships that you currently have in your life, how many of those are good news? probably can't count them on one hand, right? Here's a fact. There are people in your life that I will never cross paths with. Just like there are people in my life you're never going to cross paths with. Statistically, people are more apt to read your life than pick up the Bible. They're more apt to look at how you live and how you act and how you talk and your countenance than to come here on Sunday morning or even watch us online. So what does that mean? That purpose and that call to get in the way of storms and tell the story of what God has done in your life. So let's think about it. Let's go a little bit deeper. How many of you have jobs? Or some way, some responsibilities, something you do every day that you're called to. You're called to it. Why are you called to it? For most of us, we have jobs because we need a paycheck. That's our mission. We get up, the alarm goes off, we go to work. Our mission is to make the paycheck to pay the bills. But what if your job was your mission field? What if that was your sphere of influence where you were called to change somebody's life? What if the relationship on the pickleball court field thing? I don't even know anything about it. Court? court, Is it like tennis court? I don't know. 
I know it makes a funny sound. That's here nor there. What if that's your mission field? What if being in line at Kroger's on Thanksgiving Day is your mission field? Again, statistically, it says that we only really have trust equity with three to four people in our life. That's three to four people that really, really have faith in you and the words that you say. That's a small number. Think about how many friends you have on Facebook versus the three or four or five or six that you might actually influence. That's a big difference. So what does it really matter? What if that one person... One person out of that three, let's say three, that one person out of the three, you get to give the good news to, then changes for generations past. That one moment that you spent giving the good news of how God, Christ, changed and wrecked your life in the most beautiful way, then takes them to a new place spiritually, somewhere they've never been. That then affects every person that comes after them. See, what seems small to us is actually huge in the creation, in God's creation in us. Now, it's coming off pretty heavy, and I'm pretty excited about it, because living audaciously means we have the opportunity to change every situation that we're in. So let's look at the, what the Bible says about it. Mark 16, 15. I believe all my scriptures are going to be from the Passion Translation this morning. I was pretty tired, so I might have missed one. But this is the Passion. <clears throat> and he said to them, As you go into all the world, preach openly and wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human race. To some of the people. Does it say some? Does it say a couple? What does it say? The entire human race. So right there, we're called to a commission. We're called to a calling to go into the world and preach openly the news. Not just the news, but the wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human race. This isn't a suggestion. It's a command. He's telling us, get out there. Open your mouth and tell what I've done for you. All he is looking from you is to say yes. That's it. Three little letters, one small word. I can even spell it. Y-E-S. Yes. All he wants is a yes. Your yes could open a supernatural door that forever changes someone's life. Now, before we get into the meat and potatoes, I'm just as guilty as anybody else of forgetting to say yes. So this morning, let this be an encouragement to all of us as we go through the steps of walking audaciously. Father, I pray that this message is on time for whoever it is that you needed to hear it this morning. Father, I pray that you get me through this without fumbling on my words too much, that I don't make too many jokes, and that we get right to what you need to say. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So step one is we have to go. We have to go with the good news. The gospel literally means good news. 
Inside that gospel is hope, joy, faith, strength, perseverance, redemption, restoration, and the list continues to go on and grow. That gospel takes wrecked lives and turns them into beautiful messes. Some of you guys have have been around long enough and have maybe even gone back on the YouTube and seen some of the messages that I've preached, but some of you know my testimony, how he took me from a completely destroyed, broken, falling apart marriage filled with addiction and turned it into what I am today. That wouldn't have happened had there not been one person in my life that woke up that morning and said yes, not knowing that I was going to call him a broken mess and say, I need you. Had he not woke up that morning and said, yes, Father, I'm going to do what you call me to do today. I'm going to spread the good news and spread the gospel. I may very well not be even standing in front of you. Lord knows I wouldn't be married. I wouldn't be a pastor. I probably wouldn't be in West Virginia anymore. That one person's yes changed my life, opened up a supernatural door, not only for me, but for her, and then sent us on a path of ministry. And I got to thinking about that last night, or I'm sorry, early, early this morning. And thinking about, my God, I've never thanked you for the amount of people that you've helped me influence, that you've taken me to to help change their lives. Now, those of you that really know me know I get aggravated very easily. I'm kind of a jerk. People get on my nerves. Now, imagine that. You guys get on my nerves, right? But he called me to be in front of you, to love you, to walk with you to get mad at you, to get upset with you, to argue with you. He called me to love you and tell you about his good news. So that's what we're going to do today. See, one of the things that I think we do is we're like holy hoarders. We get the message. We come to church on Sunday. We get filled up with the really good news, the happiness, the, the, the message of his grace and his mercy in our lives, and then we go home. <laughs> that's it. We go home and we live our life and we go to our mission, we go to work and we come home and then we go to work and then we come home and then we might hang out with some friends and might go play golf or ride motorcycles, what I would do, and then whatever. But, but we don't ever share what we've been given. I really like that. I giggled really hard when I was typing my notes out and the words holy hoarders came out of my fingers. and I, I laughed at it for a long time and I went, I do that. I leave here sometimes and then get so immediately wrapped up that I forget about the message that I've been given. See, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, it doesn't matter. He still connected people to your purpose. Let me say that again. Whether you're introverted or extroverted, it doesn't matter. He has still connected people to your purpose. So we don't talk about it very much, but the enemy is a butthole. I'm sorry. I said that on the, in, the, in the pulpit, but he really is. That's how I feel about it, and I think you should too. And his one goal is to steal your joy and your hope. 
Now, when he steals your joy and your hope, he then robs you of something else. He robs you of step one. He robs you of your go. I like acronyms. A lot of my, I was looking through a lot of my sermons over the week, and a lot of them have acronyms in them. I like acronyms, so I need an acronym for go. Get out. Get out of your house. Get out of your chair. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of your car. Get out of whatever. Get out. Go. Go, go, go. He knows that if he can rob you of your joy and your hope, he can rob you of your confidence, he can then rob you of your willingness, and then all of a sudden, you're not going. You're, you're stuck at home. You're sitting in front of the TV. You're watching YouTube. You're watching Netflix. You're watching Grey's Anatomy every episode. Every single one. And then the people that were put in your purpose are waiting for you. Part two, <clears throat> part of go is moving on purpose. That's the get out. Get out of your comfort zone. Serve in ways that you may feel uncomfortable in. Most of the time, the things that God has put in our lives don't feel good right away. I know personally, he puts me in situations where I'm like, I'm not qualified for I am not good enough to pull this off for you. Why are you putting me in front of you? Because that one thing that we say all the time, he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. If he says go and you say yes, he's going to give you every tool that you need to do what he's called you to do. And what we're talking about this morning, the Great Commission, spreading the gospel, sharing the good news, means that on Scott's worst day, all he may need me to say is I love you. Now, that's uncomfortable for men to say to each other. I have to get out of my comfort zone to say, Scott, I really, really love you. And I mean that. You know I do. But that one set of words, those three words could change his life forever. All because I said yes. So let me ask you this. When, when you go on vacation... Does your testimony then become invalid? When, when, if work's your mission field, when you, when you go to dinner with some friends, is, does that then make the good things that Jesus did in your life not true anymore? When, when we walk out of these doors at the end of the service, does that make everything that we've talked about null and void to not share it? It's only good in this moment? No. We've walked through the goodness and transformation of Jesus so that we can learn it and know it so that we can share it. David said, I went and made my bed in hell and you were still there. That resonates deep in my soul because I made five or six beds in hell, right? But yet he met me right there, took my hand and walked me out of it. He took me away from a life of desperation and reliance on things instead of him. Now, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> I want to tell people about it. I want to share it as much as I can. One of my favorite things to do is when I start to talk to people and I'm getting to know them, I have this really 
awesome thing that I went through in my life that gets people's jaws to hit the floor, that then opens the door for me to tell them of the goodness of Jesus is how I lost 320 pounds. How I went from near death to being very healthy. They say, no way. You couldn't have lost 340 pounds. Look at you. Well, I did. A lot of you in this room have seen me when I was that big. I did. There's that. I'm gone. That part of me's gone. With that weight went the old me. And so when I get to tell them that, they're like, well, how'd you do it? And I said, well, it was hard. It was actually hell. And it really was. It wasn't easy. I worked my butt off. <clears throat> but it became easy because the more I stepped through it, the more Jesus started to show up in it to give me a testimony that would forever change somebody's life. And I'm thankful that I've got to watch it do that, not only here from this pulpit delivering those testimonies to you, but out in the world because I, I choose to say yes. Most of the time I don't like to say yes because that involves talking to people. I, I like this quote, and this is something I heard Dr. Wright say years and years ago, and it stuck with me, and as I was making these notes, it kind of popped up in me because it's the same line of thinking that I'm going through, but I want to walk into a room with such audacious faith that I'm not a thermometer for the room to just tell the temperature, that I get to be a thermostat in order to change the temperature. I can remember telling Angie, there was something, when I first started to come around Maranatha, I went to Maranatha on a promise I made to her mother. Not her, her mother. Didn't want to go. I did not want to go. Let me be honest with you. Walked in. Dr. Wright did that thing where he preaches right to you. Right? You know that thing? That thing that he does? He's like, they're poking you in the heart. They sang How He Loves. And then the next Sunday, I was on the platform playing with Scott. Right? But then would leave me like within a month or two into the big revival, and I played nearly every service with Scott. 80, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was with you, every, every single one of them. He put me in places to experience things and see signs, wonders, and miracles in order that I might share them, right? I didn't know that at the time, but he was... Building up an arsenal of good news. I like that. An arsenal of good news. He was giving me ammunition. Seeds to sow. Because I heard, I heard somebody one time talk about machine gun seeds. Shooting them out like a machine gun, just spraying and praying. That's something that I say sometimes in the photography world. Sometimes when I'm shooting really fast movement, I got to run my shutter speed up and spray and pray and hope I get it. Well, that's what the good news is. Sometimes we have to spray, then we have to pray and pray that someone comes behind us and waters that seed, right? What if, what if you're that guy that waters my seed? Or you, or you, or you, any one of us. So here's the cool thing. When you put on the go and you say yes, like a jersey, put on my go jersey, and I say yes and I walk out the front door, something happens. 
your character, and your countenance changes. I can remember when I first started walking in ministry, I would be out riding my chopper, and I'd have my vest on, and I'd be completely just covered in road grime and dirty, beard like over my head and just looking mean and scary. And <clears throat> everything I would wear is black. And I'd, I'd walk in and, and most of the time people would pull their kids away from me. <laughs> Here comes the big scary biker. But I remembered something happened when I would start walking in the stores like Walmart or Kroger's or public places that people would look at me and smile. I didn't do that before. So I came home one day and I said, man, Angie, the funniest thing happened. This sweet little old lady just looked at me and she smiled ear to ear and she was just so happy to see me and I looked like the biggest jerk on the face of the planet. I looked like a mean old biker. She said, because your countenance changed. I didn't, I didn't know it had changed. Still don't realize that it's changed. But still to this day, I can walk into a room and somebody that I wouldn't think would want to talk to me in the situation or the way I look will then turn and start talking to me because my countenance changed. And the reason our countenance changes is because of that, what? That great commission because he wants to give us something that's going to attract people. See, when we get saved and Jesus lives in us, he can't just stay there. He comes out. <clears throat> that comes out on our countenance. That then attracts people to us. And I used to think, man, people are talking to me. All these people are talking to me. I don't like all these people talking to me. That might, be, that might sound weird because I'm in front of people all the time. I have been my whole life. I played music professionally for years. I toured all over the place. I'm in front of people. Didn't want to talk to them. Right? Just didn't. <laughs> I really liked being in front of them, making the music, but then when it was done, didn't want to have anything to do with it. Never liked big crowds of people. Never liked going and being in parts of things. But now, I thrive on it. I need it. I need to be around people. Still don't like it sometimes, but I have to. I have to be there because I say yes. I said yes. The thing about saying yes is you do it once, you make the choice, and it's hard. And then you do it the second time, and you make the choice, and then it's hard. And then you do it the third time, and you make the choice, and then it's hard. But here again, I'll say statistically for the third time, you do something 21 times in a row, it becomes a habit. And guess what? Habits are hard to break. Especially habitual habits. Right? <clears throat> We brush our teeth out of what? Habit. We've done it every day, multiple times a day, if you're normal. And it becomes a habit. <clears throat> so here's an example of go and say yes. So a year and a half ago, my brother Mike and I, <clears throat> we decided that we were going to build some choppers. Now, we've had these bikes for years, and we've built them and tore them down, and we've built them and tore them down. But there was one thing that we had never done, and that was cut the frame in half and build a real rigid frame chopper. And since in that time frame, I'd learned how to fabricate, had been a fabricator and a certified welder, he said, you're chopping my bike in half. So we agreed to it. 
We thought, okay, cool. I've got enough space in my garage for both bikes. We're going to build a couple tables, put our choppers on them, cut them in half, and build choppers. Real deal, choppers. We've always wanted to do it. We love motorcycles so much it's an obsession and kind of sick. But we started something we had no idea what we were going to get into. Now, in the beginning, we thought, man, this is going to be really cool. And we, we, we had the conversation that this will be great. We'll meet once a week on Fridays. We'll work on our bikes. It'll be, and we'll agree to work on them just that one day that week. And we'll work on them together. And we can you know, talk about good news back and forth. He's, he's a drummer at Maranatha. He has been for 14 million thousand years. And we would talk about Jesus and we'd talk about the gospel and then sometimes we wouldn't and then sometimes that would, sometimes we would spend eight hours sitting in front of our motorcycles talking about Christ. So we decided we have, we have a group of guys, our brothers, we wanted to share what we were doing with our friends and our family. We wanted to have a place for them to be able to go and look at the progress we were making on our bikes. And I thought, hey, perfect place, Instagram. Let's start an Instagram page. So we did. We called it Pedro and Betty's Big Revival. My chopper's Pedro. It's always been Pedro. His bike's Betty, Black Betty. She's always been Black Betty. So perfect name, Pedro and Betty's Big Revival. We are changing these things, bringing them up from the ground and starting over. His bike had actually been through a flood, completely destroyed, and we were resurrecting it. How cool is this? We had no idea what that yes was going to turn into. We had no idea that within six months we would have over 1,500 people following us, which is kind of hard to do on Instagram. That doesn't sound like a lot of people, but these are chopper heads. <clears throat> now, you say the word biker and you get a kind of vision in your head, right? You know, big, burly beard, bald vest, motorcycle, loud Go a little step past that, and you have chopper heads. <laughs> Dirty, stinky, vulgar, mean. Everything that we are, right? We had no idea the places God was going to put us through the internet. So as we, as we moved through this, we kept feeling this call. It was like, there's something bigger happening here. Or there's something coming. We, have, we had no idea what was coming, but we knew something was happening. And so we started talking back and forth, and I was like, you know, this really needs to have like a real name. Like, what if this turned into a business? Or, or, or wait, maybe, maybe this is some sort of a ministry. Maybe, maybe this is our mission field. So we came up with a name to Telestai Customs. It is finished customs. Thought it was pretty cool. We made a logo. We had these really cool brass plaques that go on the head tubes of the motorcycles we build printed up so we can stick them to them. But then we realized that we were placing little pieces of Jesus on our motorcycles. Mine has praying hands on it and a couple other places. And, and, and <clears throat> we were doing these things but then something strange started happening. People started getting in our DMs, as the kids would say. They slid on into our DMs, and they started talking to us, not just about how to fix their bikes, because we had no clue that was going to happen. People then started trusting us with our knowledge to help them fix their motorcycles or build the parts or fabricate parts for them. They then started telling us their troubles. We would go from talking about 
bleeding a brake line on the front brake of a motorcycle to my wife's leaving me. I'm not sure what's going on. To I was in a car accident and I can't ride and my leg's broken. To we to can I pray for you? To yes, to tell me more about this Jesus. We were put in a position to spread the gospel in places the gospel usually isn't allowed. So we ran with it, and we just kept doing what we do. We'd build the motorcycles. We'd build the parts. We'd tell the people about them. we we go live on Instagram every Friday. We act like idiots. We make people laugh, and we just share who we are. Now, do we pray, and do we, do we give sermons on those lives and in those posts? No. But we do everything we can to walk out what Jesus looks like through loving on people through that form. So a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> I wasn't here. We had finished the bikes, and the maiden voyage was to one of the coolest things I've ever got to experience, and that was a motorcycle, not just a motorcycle show, but a chopper show called Fuel Cleveland. This is one of the biggest and baddest chopper shows that you can go to, and we got to go to it, and we got to take our brand new finished choppers to the show. Not only did we take them, but we rode them there. And we rode them, and we got to park them in the show. Not just go, we got to be in the show. So as we got there, and we're walking through it, we're walking in, and I'm like, oh, there's a panhead, and there's a knucklehead, and look at that van. Oh, my gosh, look at, I'm just, I'm, I'm blown up by all the motorcycles I'm seeing. And then we turn through the fence opening, we walk up, and I walk right into somebody because I'm looking at something else, and his shirt says, Hail Satan on elbowed Mike and I pointed at it and he looked at it and then here comes another guy walking with an upside down cross that says cheat death. Now what he doesn't realize is what an upside down cross really means. But in that culture it means anti-establishment and anti-Christ but really what they don't realize is the power that that represents of not being worthy enough to be crucified like Christ. But as we were walking through this show, I started counting. One, two, three. Mike, I got five. How many you got? Oh, you got six? Seventeen. Hail Satan shirts. Right? And that's funny because that's the culture. It's not that they actually do that. It's just something cool to piss you off. That's why they do it. That's their attitude. But God has taken us and put us right in the middle of it. And what people say to us when they talk to us, we had people coming up for, for, to us left and right. Oh, we follow you. We follow you. We love you guys because there's something different. And we know what that difference is. And it's just by walking out the love and acceptance of Christ to them that they feel something different. And when we don't push it, and we just have conversations, and we love on them, then they start asking us questions, which then opens the door for us to say, well, yeah, I'm a pastor. <clears throat> I 
I've gotten so far ahead of my notes. The thing I like to think, and I, and I wish that I could get people to know, is a lot of the times you go with that and, and you say yes and you do your go, but then they say, yeah, but you don't know my past. You don't know what I've been through. And while I might not have walked the same path of pain that you have, what I do know is that your past was not an education. It was, your past was an education. It's not a destination. My past, had it been a destination, I would still be living in that misery. But my past was an education so that when I got to the other side of it, I could look back on it and say, look at all the good that Jesus has done in my life that I never even knew then it was him. Constantly, to this day, as a 43-year-old man, I'm going, oh my God, when I was 20, that car accident that I almost had, I almost had it, but I didn't have it because he needed me right here today. The education is that God has loved me from the time I took my first breath. And you guys have heard me preach that that first breath is actually his name. That from the moment that I came out, I was under his control. Actually, from the moment of conception, I was under his hand, his loving care. He had a plan for me. He has things that he wants to unlock and do through you. Not just me. Now, some of us are called to pastor. Some of us are called to be worship leaders. I guess I got the calling to be both. Some of us are called to be welders and plumbers and taxi drivers and nurses and doctors. But all of us are called to the commission to spread the good news, to testify of what he's done in our life. <clears throat> None of us are on this planet by chance or an accident. Well, funny thing is, I actually was an accident. I wasn't supposed to be a Frank. To my mom's eyes, it was an accident. My dad's eyes, the same thing. But in God's eyes, it was a purposed plan. It was a purposed plan to help change people's lives in his name. I'm running out of time. All right, so Romans 10, 14 through 15. But how can people call on him for help if they've not yet believed? And how can they believe in one they've not yet heard of? And how can they hear the message of life if there is no one there to proclaim it? Verse 15. And how can the message be proclaimed if messengers have yet to be sent? That's why the scriptures say go. The scripture says, How welcome is the arrival of those proclaiming the joyful news of peace and good things to come. My call to you today is be stronger than your strongest excuse. I'm too tired. Well, you can sleep later. I'm really good at sleeping later. Right? Be stronger than your strongest excuse. This is one of my favorite quotes ever. 
And I'd kind of forgotten about it. And I was sitting, going through this stuff again this morning, and I had to run back and add it. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times, but when necessary, use words. I'm going to say that again, because I like it so much. Preach the gospel at, at all times, when necessary, use words. Every action, every move we make. Now I'm singing the police in my head. Every action, every, every move we make has an opportunity to exude the gospel. Are we perfect? No. That's why there's grace and mercy. Because I will mess this up. Promise you that. Right? <clears throat> this, is, this is good and I like this a lot. You don't have to be an expert on the dirt on someone's life to help them rinse it off. You don't have to have lived the same pain, torment, and testimony that somebody else lived to help them see the goodness of Christ and how he can change it. My testimony of the things that I did might not necessarily resonate with somebody who's never been a musician, who's never ridden a motorcycle, who's never been addicted to something. But the goodness of Christ rings true in the same in all situations. This is where we'll start to wrap it up. I'm not going to be able to finish all of it. I got too excited. But Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Your lives are like salt among the people. But if you, like salt, become bland, how can your saltiness be restored? Flavorless salt is good for nothing and will be thrown out and trampled on by others. Your lives light up the world. For how can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? And who would light a lamp and then hide it in an obscure place? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Right? Instead, it's placed where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. I'm going to let it shine. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that your commendable works will shine as light upon them. Your testimony will shine as light upon them and then they will give their praise to your Father in heaven. So this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That makes sense to us. We've been singing that since we were little. But what about this salty stuff? What is, what is the salt thing? Your lives are like salt among the people, but if you, like salt, become bland, how can your saltiness be restored? Let me explain. This is Angie. She's my beautiful wife. She's awesome. She likes salt. Not only does she like salt, she likes to put salt on her salt and then sprinkle some salt. Sometimes my beautiful wife will make me food. And she'll forget that it's for me. And she'll put salt and then her salt and then her salt for later. And when I taste it, I'm like, whoa, whoo, that's yours. <laughs> that's not mine. I like salt, but I don't like all the salt. See, why does, it, why does it have that reaction when we eat something? Eat a salt and vinegar chip you've never had before. What's going to happen? Woo, it's salty. Right? Because salt 
is distinctive. The Bible says we were called to be salt and light in the world. Why? Because salt is distinctive. We're called to be different. We're called to stand out. You can sprinkle pepper on something, a lot of pepper, equal amounts of pepper, taste it, and it's like, oh, that's got pepper on it, but it doesn't kick you in the face. But you put the same amount of salt on it, and you're regretting it. I want to be so salty on this earth that people are like, oh, here he comes. And not salty in the sassy way, because I'm already that, right? We were never designed to blend in. <clears throat> so God knows me, God chose me, God loves me. Our natural mind then steps in and says, but what about the things that I did? What about my past? What about my brokenness? What about this? Well, that's when we get to turn it on the dime, sprinkle some salt on it, and think about God's power, love, grace, and mercy, faithfulness, but most importantly, his love. I'm not even going to get to the second part. My goodness. So one more step. Step two, love is essential. Agape love. The gross kind of love. God love. I have a few people in my life, a few men in my life, and you've heard me talk about this before, but I give them rights to my life. I give them the ability to step right up in my mess and say stop, and I don't say why. I give them the ability to love me hard, but I also return it to them Two men in my life, I can look them dead square in the eyes and say, I'm deeply in love with you. I can't do life without you. Yes, I said I'm in love with a man. I'm so in love with these people because God's love is in me. And I've said yes to being oversight into their life, just like they said yes to be oversight into my life, to be accountable to each other. It's a gross, nasty, crazy, agape love. The same kind of love that Jesus has for us. So quickly, John 13, 34, 35. So I give you now a new commandment. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you, by loving one another, everyone will know you're true, my true followers. Mark 12, 30, 31. You are to love the Lord God with a passionate heart, from the depths of your soul, with every thought, with all your strength. This is the great supreme commandment. But the second one is this. You must love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. You will never find a greater commandment than these. See, it's difficult to love somebody when you haven't first learned how to love yourself. Society teaches us how to love ourselves in a selfish way, but Jesus tells us how to love ourselves the way he loves us. Through grace, through mercy, through forgiveness, through faithfulness. Agape love does one paramount amazing thing. It heals. So love being the second essential ingredient to faith. Audacious faith. We have to realize this. Step three, will you come play? Step three. And this is powerful, and this is where I'm going to try to not stay too long and, and wrap this up so we're not here all day. But this is really, really important. Three, God's church is unstoppable. 
God's church, right? We talk about this a lot. We're in a church. There's a wall, there's a wall, there's a wall, there's a wall, there's a roof. We're in a church, right? This is a place where we meet and we gather. This is a building. God does come here, but he gets here because we come here. He gets here because we are the church, because we are the temple, because he resides inside of us. When we realize there's something really, really important. The, the, the thing I told you earlier about the enemy wanting to steal your joy and your hope in order to steal your go, to steal your yes, when we realize that God's church united is the most powerful thing on this earth, then we scare him to death. Then we make him shake in his boots. Well, the victory's already been won. At the time of the cross, God took, Jesus took the keys to hell and we were done. We won. We had the party. But yet he never stops poking at us, trying to steal our hope and our joy. Right? But when we realize that when we're together in unity, spreading the gospel, we're unstoppable. Romans 12, 4 through 6, I'll paraphrase, says that we are the hands and the feet and the top of the head and the, all the things and all of us together become the body of Christ. Not just one piece. All of us together become the body of Christ. That when we come together in unity, mountains move just from faith in each other. We are the body of Christ. And this is the last thing that I'll leave you with. Comparison will kill you. We're talking about living life, faith, audaciously, boldness to step into situations and say things that make us uncomfortable. But our human mindset and our human flesh gets in the way and, well, I'm not good enough. Ah, we're talking about motorcycles and building choppers and I look at these other builders and I'm like, whoops, I can't compete with that. I can't compete with it. I ran through the house yesterday screaming like a schoolgirl because a very famous moto vlogger and bike builder and mechanic started following our page. The guy's name's Shade Tree Surgeon. I watch his YouTube on a regular basis. And I often think, man, it would be awesome if he had Jesus. He's so positive. He's so happy. He loves helping people. But I also know, because I've watched nearly every video on his YouTube page, that he's into some stuff. It's not good stuff. Now, the majority of the content is helping out... Uh, um, a charity in Florida that, that builds tiny homes for people coming out of the foster care, teaches them job, teaches them trades, gives them cars. I can't remember. I think it's called Forgotten Angels. Most of his content is to support Forgotten Angels. The guy loves to do good, but he always says, I love to do good, but I'm just a really bad guy doing some really good stuff. 
But see, that's not the mindset that I have. I could say that I'm a really bad guy doing amazing things standing in this pulpit, but I'm not a bad guy. I never was a bad guy, not in my father's eyes. He loved me just the same from the beginning to the end. So I compare myself to people like that in that, in that genre, in that world, because I want to be as good as them. So this guy starts following us. He then goes through our content and looks and sends us a message. And he's like, right on. So then I jump over to my private page and I send him a direct message and say, hey, this is Frank from Pedro's and Betty's. I've been following you for years. Man, this is awesome. I'm so glad you started following us. I just got a pair of your gloves. They're amazing. La da da, cha cha cha. So now I've opened a door where I might get to be the guy that helps him see Jesus. To see that he doesn't have to believe that he's the bad guy doing good things. That he could, he could someday say, I'm redeemed. I'm qualified. I'm called. I've been resurrected in him. Here's the thing. And this is, this is where I'll tie it up. If you guys could stand up to your feet. <clears throat> if there's one statement in this message that's the most important, I saved it for the last. You won't be distracted by comparison if you are captivated by purpose. I know my purpose in that mission field. I get to build motorcycles. I get to ride them to crazy places. I get to have amazing conversations with people I never dreamed I'd have relationships with. But my purpose is to be different, to be really salty in the middle of a chopper show. To be kind, happy, sweet, full of grace and mercy. To have my countenance walk into a field of motorcycles and motorcycle heads and change the atmosphere. And let me tell you, we saw it happening. We saw people that you would never think would talk to you come up and say, we just love you guys because you're so different. Different, different, different. So many times I heard the word different. When I was young, I didn't want to be different. I want to be just the same as everybody else. But now that he's come into my life and forever changed it, I want to be so salty. So Father, I pray that this message leads us all, myself included, to want to live an even more audacious life than what we're already living. Father, I pray that this morning we can take a step through a door that we've thought we couldn't. That maybe, maybe you will get up inside of us and give us that little tickle that says, go, go talk to that person. You're walking through the grocery aisle and you see somebody and you, you just have that feeling, I need to stop and pray for them. Father, I pray that we have the audacious boldness to step out in faith and do that so that we may be in assistance to you changing their life. Father, there's, there's no greater, no greater gift 
than to be able to share who you are and what you've done. Father, I pray that anybody under the sound of my voice in this room, watching online, or that may be watching in the future, Father, I pray anybody that has any ounce of fear wrapped around that, that you take that from them this morning. That you, that you get right up in the middle of that fear, of that comparison, and you show them purpose. You show them really how easy it is once you've said yes. Father, we love you. We're thankful for you. And we give all this to you in Jesus' name. So I, ho I hope this message has...